What's going on, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Three Times Dope Podcast. Uh, my pod mates, let's do a check in because mental health is. It, it, listen, we got to talk about our mental health, and we absolutely have to check in always because we got to make sure that we get H. What's happening? Good morning, my favorite. My favorite podcast is podcast. Good morning. Um, how am I doing? I'm doing pretty good today. I won't complain. I have on one of my favorite sweatshirts, the thin black one. Yes. Um, I'm that is today. an awesome sweatshirt. Hey, Thank can you, you listen? Where you get that from? I ordered it from Etsy. Okay. Through is there is it under anybody's moniker? Like what? I think I just put like defend black woman t-shirt and it came. Up oh wait, and... you so somebody else made it and you ordered it or you made uh-huh. it yourself? No, I didn't make it myself. Somebody else made it and I ordered it. But on, um, I do did get a special delivery of some shirts. So your girls' ink shirts will be coming to you soon. I'll be able to get I got your girls' ink shirt. But yeah, I'm feeling good today. You know, it's a every week there's some kind of challenge. But I think part of being an adult and being a responsible person, mm. trying to be creative about figuring out what to do and giving your space yourself some space to like process what's happening. Um, I also think about like how often I have to talk out and narrate what's happening to help myself get clear around that, around something that I felt like sometimes you know the answer, you just got to talk it out with somebody who you trust and, and who will just know when to listen um, so that you can kind of come to your own understanding about it. So I'm feeling good today. How are you? I'm so happy to see you and be in community. Hey, listen, I feel like you trust Doc more than you trust me because y- y'all talk more. And like, I'll I'll come in on conversation and, and you'll be like, oh, I was talking to this person. Oh, Doc, that was you. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Doc Liver? So no, you're not Shop Liver. Here's the thing. I'm going to call. I, you have to know who to call for what. Okay. When, I, when the goons need to be around and I'm ready to like yeah. have action, then the call will go to Ray. When I'm sitting yeah, in my psychological, uh, my conceptual framing, how is the third space working with this current thing? Then the call yeah. is going to die. But I'm grateful yeah, to have that. Right? Yeah, yeah, I, he, 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 I can call the goons and I can call the theorists and I and yeah. every and all my needs are met. Hey, cool. I'm working my way towards that theorist thing. Doc, what's happening? <laughs> hey, man, I'm in celebration mode. My youngin went from uh, fifth grade to sixth grade Friday, so I'm just excited for him and, uh, you know, deeply reflective of the many parents who won't see their young people go from fifth grade to sixth grade because they're not here no more. So I I think that just reflecting on that, but uh, extremely grateful for the educators in his life and uh, the Black teacher that put him on his path of being in the advanced uh, program here in our community, Miss Chuck. Shout out to Miss Chuck. She retired, moved to Texas. Um, but one of her lasting things she did was advocate for him because he he missed the cutoff in uh, like by 0.5 points or some num- some random number, and they weren't going to make an exception. But yet he had one of the highest math scores in the district on whatever other part of the standardized test, whatever it was. And so Miss Chuck was like, yep, that doesn't make any sense. Did you ask him why he was off by 0.5? And they didn't want to have a conversation. So, but Miss Chuck put him on the path and stood up and was like, no, we're not doing that because of point 0.5. That just makes yeah. sense. So, hey, everybody needs a Miss Chuck, man. I had a Miss Smith. Everybody. <laughs> she, put me, 
she put me on the same pathway. Uh, you know, a white white. What actually, a white teacher had recognized my brilliance and was like, "Hey, this kid needs to be in the gifted class. What's his story?" And so, you know, Miss Smith was like, "He goes to church with me. Um, I teach him in Sunday school. Uh, he's a good kid, right?" So, like, everybody has somebody needs somebody in their corner that's going to advocate for them, uh, especially when uh, white supremacy can take over, right? And so, and my response to that is for those teachers that are starting their summer vacation, if you ain't one of those types of teachers, you should quit because kids need that now more than ever. Uh, they need teachers who are going to be advocates and sponsors for them amidst all of the challenges young folks uh, face. And so uh, I am much more uh, Ray Ankrumish these days when it comes to teachers that ain't, uh, like if you don't love kids and you can't help them learn and you can't help them love themselves, like, why are you there? Like, why are you there? And yeah. why does the union protect no. so many of them? Uh, as well, like you know, the screen uh, back on you. <laughs> I'm not totally uh, in the uh, Ray Ankrum category with the union, but <laughs> but I, I am much more inclined when I see the joy that my 11 um, year old has, and thinking about Miss Chup to say like, shouldn't we be protecting teachers like that? His his teacher taught them about. Uh, how Columbus didn't discover America. He came home just going on and on and on about genocide in fifth grade. And he was just like, yo, such as such says that I need this book. I need that book. And these are adult books that this teacher is recommending to fifth graders. Like you need to go home and ask your parents if they can help you get a copy of this book. So we read books about it and things like that. And, um, you know, like I just appreciate teachers who are willing to, uh, uh, work to tell the truth to to our babies. And if you ain't one of those and then protecting them while they're getting that truth, I ain't got no love for you. Like, yeah. All right. But so, uh, Miss Ty, you said her name was, right? Who? You, her, his teacher? Was teaching it? Yeah. Oh, his current teacher that he just had was no, Miss No, 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 no. The one that, the one that oh, had him on the path. Uh, Miss Chupp. C-H-U-P-P. -P. She retired. Miss Chupp. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, why the hell she moved to Texas? She retired. She retired. She wanted to enjoy. Bro, you're not you're not moving you're not moving to Texas to enjoy your life with all the shit that's going on down there. <laughs> she might be from Texas. I think she was in the she military. Might, she might be interested in ranching and have land right. and horses. Who knows? But I wonder, like, with that attitude, you're not going down. You're not going to. You're not going to go down to Texas and be <laughs> and, and so be free. <laughs> What's wrong Yo. with Texas? <laughs> what? Beyonce, they're, they're taking away women's rights. They, you, what? They're What's wrong with Texas? Rights. They're taking away women's rights they everywhere. everywhere. Like, Virginia. Yeah, but it began in Texas. The argument began in Mississippi, Texas, and in, in, in them kind of states. Plus, Ted Cruz is down there. Who wants to live in a state where Ted Cruz represents you? Sir, you live in New York State. Y'all have y'all own issues to resolve. Yeah. Big facts. So one, one, one of those issues is not it being a Republican-run state that's taking away women's rights. That's not one of the issues. We may have a mayor who looks sort of like you and me, who's ignorant as hell and calls people my people, but like <laughs> my workers, my teachers. Yeah, my, my workers, cops. my teachers. Yeah, yeah, but other than that, well, yeah. We... I would ask, though, let's stick to Miss Smith and Miss Chubb and let's, let's figure out 
what it is, what is it about those particular kinds of teachers that, or the spaces that they create? Because there could have been some risks associated with it, right? There are probably, there could be teachers who are trying to speak on behalf of young people, but who feel like they're not listened to. Or what about those teachers who say, I'm here to teach. I'm in a school and they're below grade level and my job is not to do this and this and this. My job is only to teach. Oh my God. Listen, that, that gives me great pause, right? Because I, I think that we need to we need to redefine what a teacher's job and what a teacher's role okay. is, and so that we can have a clear understanding as to like what those expectations are. Because right now right. it's all over the place, right? And I think it's all over the place because well, let me name it. It's because eighty percent of teachers identify as white. It's because a good majority of those teachers that teach in the inner city identify as white, and they are not connected to those kids that are in the inner city. And I think that we don't name this enough in terms of like, what are what are our expectations for you when you come and teach in our community? Right. Yeah. Um, it's not for you to just come and get a paycheck and take it back to your suburban community or wherever the hell else you live. That's not in our community. Right. But I think that we need to do some more work in terms of like getting those folks engaged in terms of like, all right, well, if you're not going to live in this community, here are some things that you need to do in order to navigate in this space and in order to be connected as an outsider that's inside, right? Yeah, and I feel like we need- prep programs need to function differently to help make sure they do that. Um, okay. And that's where a lot of teacher prep programs aren't yeah. cutting mustard uh, because you have a bunch of people sitting around who have three letters after their name, but have never actually been a teacher, right? Or ever worked in schools. And I just think it's important to reframe it such that theory and practice are equally valued instead of uh, 30 page papers that go in journals that five people read. Those are important because yeah. they help inform practice. They help inform a new body of research. But, you know, like I used to always say to folks, like if you want to help figure out what's going on with teachers and to this day, the class still exists. I taught a class on communities and schools and I refused to teach it on campus and they were confused. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, yo, it's a course on communities and schools. Like it should be taught at a school in the community. Like, what are we doing here? Right. And this course was taught at Hollabird Elementary in uh, Baltimore. And the course is still taught at that school. And that course has produced uh, a, a handful of teachers that have worked at Hollabird. So it, and, it, and it's really allowed for people to understand the context of, of, of urban schools. But like, I don't know unless we figure out a way to move uh, teacher training to be inclusive of schools, um, like, you know, housing a teacher training program at Ray School or housing one at Girls Inc. and having different ways of thinking about uh, training teachers, I think we're going to get the same thing. And as the saying goes, shit in, shit out, right? right. And and if you don't change the mechanics of what's happening in that machine, you're going to get the same uh, same uh, type of thing going out. And it's not to suggest that every teacher who goes through a teacher prep program, whether it's an alt route or a traditional teacher prep program, is terrible. I don't want that to be my, my point. My point is teacher prep is about as dogmatic and unwilling to change as so many people who are in teachers units. Yeah. But – as well as so many people in uh, charter schools who are also unwilling to change and be challenged in particular ways as well. And I just think as an educator. You're talking about Willis. Change what? Well, I think that the change part is around this deficit thinking. And so I think a lot of times these schools yeah. and their programs are like, we show love by being hard on kids. 
We mm. show we care about them by build, breaking them down mm. to build them back up. We we show love by having high expectations and like giving no excuses and like making kids miserable and taking the fun out of school, right? Or mm. exercising our power. I'm not Wait, saying that. Whoa. That's- Clarifying question. That don't happen in traditional public schools? No, no. I don't think that it, I'm not saying that it does or it doesn't, but we were talking about okay. teacher development. And so I think that right. we could improve teacher development programs by helping people understand that there is more in, that you can have high expectations and love kids. It's not either right. or, right? Doc always talks to us That's about true. nuance. We talk too much about these programs and how they have to move with this urgency and they got to close these gaps and these traditional schools aren't working. And so we're going to like go more hard and more intense because we care and love about kids and their futures. I'm saying that we can be cultivating more love and joy in those same spaces Mm. And, and use teacher development programs so that we have Miss Chubbs, we have Miss Smith, we have Mr. Ancrums who cared and loved about kids. Because the folk, if you tell me that 98% of what I do and what you value and what you observe and what you use as a way to decide if I'm doing a good job is not about hard work, then I'm not going to prioritize hard work, right? Mm. I'm going to prioritize data analysis and weekly data meetings because nine out of the 10 things an administrator talks to me about is not how my kids are feeling or what is happening in their homes. It's how Mm. did you reteach this lesson? Where's your progress monitoring chart, right? I'm not saying that those aren't important. I'm saying we can do both and. And you're right. There's too many, there are schools in, there are traditional public schools that aren't doing either. Correct. They're holding high expectations for kids and teaching them, and they're teaching them, and they're treating them like trash every day, right? They don't have to. They don't have to. They don't have to. You know why? Because out of all that talk that we have about charter schools and charter school accountability, you get three years of bad data at a charter school, they're going to shut that shit down. Depends on community now. Depends on community. So that's the thing about charters, though, right? Is that it depends on community because in Michigan, and it's some charters that have crap data, but they still open. Yeah, but that's Michigan. Michigan, Michigan's an anomaly. Y'all just want bad shit for no reason. And so, basketball teams, bad basketball teams. Yo, basketball bad teams. We just in a bad phase bro, from the hoop scene. Bro, you got, you got, you got, uh, you you had five insurrectionists that were potential uh uh people that were going to be governor of the state, bro. This is, so, this, this is this is this is true. We like a and, good insurrection. So I just want bad shit, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We like bad football, but we don't like bad basketball. Number one. Okay. So, yeah, you like, didn't like bad basketball in like the eighties, early nineties. Ever since then, it's been bad. Wait, oh no, no, no. They don't even no, play no. professional basketball in New York. They play AAU basketball. That's Ooh. true. <laughs> <laughs> like, they haven't they haven't played professional basketball since uh the Spree World retired. You're right. Or, he, or or unless he's well he didn't retire he just said that 17 million dollars wasn't enough money for him he can't feed his kids in his boat or whatever it was <laughs> that's wild i was like Whoa, uh, all right that's a new to yeah, me. different day different time all right so jumping into these topics right because we got a couple we got to get to and so the first one this shite <laughs> So I'm set this up, even though it's H's brainchild, right? So, um, <laughs> so state of Illinois has decided that uh, it would be in the best interest of students for them to have uh, 
mental health days in order to unpack some of the travesties that they may occur uh, that may occur in their daily lives in order for them to be their best selves as students right um so given you know you have 181 days uh in a school year um the thought is is that if you're showing up as your best self as your most whole self then out of those days you're more than likely going to be able to give your all if you're free and clear of uh of, of things that constrict your mental health right and so what are y'all's thoughts i'll jump back in uh and talk about what my thoughts are because it's trash well i think two things right so what we know is that when people feel better and are in a healthy mental space they're able to perform right when we talk about policy laws and changes specifically around school I would wonder if this is really about protecting young people's mental health and if there are other services and supports. Do they have counselors? Are they learning about SEL? Are they learning about mindfulness? Do they have access to resources so that their mental health day can be useful? Or is this just some kind of way that we're trying to get around attendance challenges, right? So if we have folks and they're supposed to meet a certain attendance requirement and now I'm saying you got five days in a year that you can use and I won't consider you truant or it won't be... Um, Seen negatively as a part of your attendance record, then that's different. But we know that good mental health is not something that happens just five days of school year. That they, these are strategies and resources and practices that need to be cultivated and modeled and teach and that are continuous. If this school is trying to lead the way and say, in addition to all of these resources, to trainings, to support groups, to things that we can help create supports and services for young people and you can get five days when you need them, that's great. But if they're just saying, take these five days and instead of saying I was absent or I was sick, I can use mental health as an excuse, I think that can become dangerous because we already have too many people who don't take these issues seriously and who aren't thinking about all of the other things that young people need in order to ensure that their mental health is well. I also would wonder how this impacts teachers and other educators who may also want to have the benefit of being able to say, I need a mental health day. I'm experiencing some challenges. How will the school or this district respond to my needs? Doc, jump in here. I mean, when I saw this, I was kind of like, five mental health days? Like, I mean, you got two weeks at winter break. Spring break, all summer. Uh, it just reminds me of like people who who are like football and basketball have become soft. Like, what's happening to our kids? Where like I get mental health, like I got that part, but how come we can't provide them mental health support and services in schools? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like five mental health, and like who decides? And you get to be absent for other random things too. Yeah, I, Doc, I thought you were going to say, "Where's the research that says five is the right amount of days?" But the well, bottom that, of that, that was in my that was in my notes. I just <laughs> I just decided not to go there because I figured people might get mad and be like, "Simmons always talk about the research," but like, I mean, I don't know what's magical about five days. Like what? I mean, the, the bottom of the article said similar states have adopted this. Your state, Virginia, Oregon, Nevada, 
Like people are always looking to Colorado and Denver for innovative ways of leading schools and closing the gap. Like maybe they maybe they're onto something. Maybe this state is just trying to follow well, first, what they see all, as best practices everywhere else. I don't know why we're looking to Colorado to lead, but I mean, they, they were the first state to legalize marijuana, I believe, or one of the first states. Um, but like that, that doesn't mean they have a monopoly on good thought about education. And the last I checked, black kids ain't faring that well in Colorado schools in mass. I see a lot of PD dollars going to initiatives and programs that's coming out of really? Colorado because that's because they're willing to try it. Just because just because you're willing to try it doesn't mean that you're willing that, that you're doing it good. That just means that you know I, I don't I just don't understand like five mental health. When I saw this and you shared it, I was shocked because when I live in Virginia, I didn't even know that that was a thing because I would have said to our eleven year old, like, look, we about to take some mental health pay so we can go to uh to the beach. Uh, cause you so, know, like, I didn't here's get my, here, here's my concern, right? Or, or not necessarily concern. My area of contention for these these types of things, right, is that when you think about when you think about education, the way that we were brought up in it, mm-hmm. bless you. When you think about education, the way that we were brought up in it, uh, there's a certain amount of days that you could miss in order for um in order for you to in order for them to um retain you. Right. So like, you know, I, I know the magic number down south was if you missed 20 days or more that you were automatically put up for retention. Right. And I saw some of those things play out in New York as well in terms of like in schools that um, if you missed a certain amount of time, they would like automatically retain you or have conversations about retention because you've missed so much school to where. Uh, you go into the next grade will kind of be counterproductive because it would just be more um, more backfilling that they would have to do in order to you know get you where you need to be right. So like it, it made sense for you to maybe have like a retention year, right? Um, totally against retention in most cases, right? But I think that there are some cases that retention can work uh, depending on the capacity of the student, right? So like I feel like when we talk about educating the whole child, you got to know that whole child to know if that child is going to shut down. If that child is not going to be open or receptive to uh, right. to, to to being retained, right? But I've seen some instances in which it has worked amazingly in terms of uh, watching kids grow and in terms of kids doing what they need to do. All that to say, if you have a student who has this this number or this high bar in terms of like the amount of time that they need to be at school, you have parents who are now uh, faced with more more scrutiny than ever in terms of like, all right, well, your kid needs to be at school. If not, truancy, charges can be brought against you and like all these other things to hold you accountable as a parent for making sure that your kid attends school. What's making these teachers attend school? Because a lot of times the way that these contracts are built, it's like mm-hmm. you can get a doctor's note, you can get this, you can get that. And a lot of these teachers are missing more days than these students, right? So like if you yeah. think about... Your, more, your most truant student, if that teacher in that class is missing more days than that student who is truant, how is learning happening? And how are we holding the adults accountable for what they need to do uh, in terms of like making sure that kids are learning? Yeah, I get it. I also, instantly I thought about you, Doc. I thought about 
you said that you didn't even realize this was something that could happen and could be an option for you and your kid. And then it makes me think about like, where are the other places that this is, that we're not informed about this, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if this can be used as something that white students or students who have more wealth and more access can come in and just say, well, my kid still gets perfect attendance because they just, this was just two of their mental health days versus black and brown families who may not have access, may not have information and who would be penalized or criminalized or have some kind of consequence because they can't meet the expectations of that, right? And again, I think what we want to be thinking about is what are the ways that we can create conditions in schools where mental health is talked about openly, funded appropriately, and discussed in a way that is aligned to resources and interventions and not just excuses. Um, and too many people, I think, can, are you, can use things that are supposed to be designed to help and support as an excuse and a reason like, well, that's not me. I just like, hands up, it's not me. I don't have to manage, I'm not accountable for this particular thing. Um, but we know what brain science says. We know when students are feel safe and connected and love that they're more able to engage. We know that that is how teachers and staff feel as well, right? But there is something to be said about like how you manage that. Because if I have a class of 20 kids and each of them take their mental health day, At a different time, you could potentially have a school year where you don't have every kid in your class, right? Like it it can be problematic. Really problematic. I mean, I I don't even, I I didn't even realize this was happening in Virginia. So I just want to go back to that as a parent. Like, when did they pass this law? It certainly wasn't under the current administration in the governor's mansion, but like, what? And is is it state law? Like, it just makes me ask other questions of leaders in our community that, uh, I don't know, like what, and, and, and I don't know, it's just an odd policy that I just think doesn't deal with the root cause of student mental health issues. Like right. If students are having a mental health issue, what is how does staying at home help, especially if the mental health issue is caused by trauma at home? Mm-hmm. And, and, in most, and in most cases, and I'm sure we can find some research to back this up, uh, yeah. A lot of the trauma that's associated with inner city youth is coming from home or coming from the neighborhoods, right? Yeah, or coming from the school and like my mental health break is I get to not be in this place that, that is don't love me. For me. Right. Facts. Facts. Right. Because right. we, don't, we don't talk about that enough either. All right, so H, um, talk to us. Set this up. Yes, so um, I'm here in D.C., and Jack Del Rio is the defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. They have a new name. And the other oh, they're day, the Commanders now. Yeah, they're the command. <laughs> Not that that matters. Um, so they were having a press conference. They ain't going to win. They ain't going to win anyway. Well, you know, when you got bad juju on you, what's, what's Seeley say? Anything you even think about is going to fail? Do you do right by me? There's some things that that particular organization can work on improving and repairing and restoring. And so they got that feely on them anyway. So they were at a conference, a press conference and Jack Del Rio made some comments that were um, uninformed and, and not accurate around comparing the riots or the protests that happened during Black Lives Matter, um, specifically around the, the killing of George Floyd and others as being comparable to some of the actions that took place on January 5th when folks stormed the Capitol. And so I think in his comments, his point was like, well, what's the difference? Like, this is not a big deal. We shouldn't be 
showing it live, it's like the same difference, right? And so my question was less about him and how misinformed and ignorant that comment was and offensive to an organization that's, what, over 80% Black? Um, but why is it that we seem to be able to shift the position when it comes to white coaches or athletes making comments around things? When when LeBron and Kaepernick and others want to make comments, our, the narrative is also often, well, just shut up and dribble. You're an athlete. You get paid millions. You shouldn't have an opinion on that. But then coaches and folks like Aaron Rodgers and others can make these statements in their positions. And when they say things, it's like, well, they have the right to free speech and we should be able to listen to opinions that are different from us. And like who, what he says isn't a reflection of who he is, but why isn't that the same kind of way we approach black and brown athletes when they have issues or have comments that they want to share about things that people don't understand. Um, to the I, I, team's point, they did find him and that yeah. money is going to the United States Capitol Police Memorial Fund. But like, why is it that we get to say that some people's opinions matter and others don't? Well, so before we jump in, right? I just want I want to name the fact that the uh, the commanders uh, definitely distanced themselves. They distanced themselves away from this comment, right? It says, uh, "This morning I met with Coach uh, Jack Del Rio to express how disappointed I am in his comments on Wednesday." Uh, Coach Revere said Revere is a is a is, is head coach of the Washington Commanders. And then he identifies as a person of color. I want to say he's Latino. Um yeah. and says uh, his comments do not reflect the organization's views and are extremely hurtful to the greater to the great community here in DMV. Because like when you think about DMV, you think about where these football teams are. The majority of these football teams are like in like black adjacent neighborhoods, right? Like think about uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Like, Baltimore's right. Like Baltimore is, you know, you know what Baltimore is, DC. Yeah. You know what DC is. Um, and so in thinking about that, for him to make such an inform uninformed statement, right, from a position of privilege, um, and then for you now to have to go in and engage with an organization that's over 80% black, like so if I have you coaching me and I know how you feel about me, right? Like I'm not gonna necessarily work hard for you on defense because yeah you don't like black people anyway. Like you clearly, right. you don't, you know? And so I, I I just think that it's more to just find this person a hundred thousand dollars. Right. I feel like in order to kind of get to the root, root cause of like getting these folk, getting these folks up, up out of why, why are they? So Ace to your point, if a black coach makes a mistake like this, first of all, they ain't no black coaches in NFL. Let's name that, right? So, like, defensive, maybe, like, you get a coordinator position, but, like, you ain't getting no head coach position if you're black in the NFL, right? Which is why people are in litigation about it right now. But if you are in a coaching position and you're black and you make a mistake like this or you make, you, you misspeak or whatever, or you say how you rightfully feel, even if you're in a position of being correct, and white people don't like what you got to say, you're still going to lose your job. You're still going to be ostracized. You're still going to have this mark on your back in terms of, like, not being able to get a job. But it just feels like whenever these folks uh, misspeak, they're still employed, gamefully, and they still have opportunities to advance. Like, it, it, it wouldn't, like, if, if they had an undefeated season this year, it wouldn't strike me that this guy would be offered a head coaching position somewhere else. It's just... It, the cards are just stacked against us, and it's exhausting having to talk about the shite. 
Yeah, it also reminds me of the comment around the teachers, right? It's about proximity. We're not talking about it. Like, he got to see the capital on his way in and out of the city to get to where they play at, right? Like, this is not a place. We're not a small town that's, like, not located in proximity. Like, there are changes in the ways and the streets we can drive on and the things that we can do when you are here in and of this city. And granted, they practice at Ashburn and they play out in Maryland, but you're not talking about a small city. Like, there are still repercussions around what has happened that day. And so to be in the city during the week of the hearings, to know the impact that it had on people, on the police, on MPD, on citizens, on folks, and then to be like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I mean, that's the same thing. And I think we all, we, we, we are funny with our language. When it's a movement we don't like, we call it a riot. But when it's, <laughs> when it's something that is different, it's a protest. And these, we don't have the same, they're like, well, they were burning down the Target. Even if yeah. there were fires at Target, is that still the same as taking <laughs> things and rumming them through the windows at the U.S. Capitol? Also, it's interesting too, right? People talk about, well, why is it a big deal? People gang, like they protest, they, they can gang all the time. But you, people, they didn't just decide to go there any day. They went there the day that the nomination was being approved with the intent of disrupting it so that it didn't happen. This didn't happen on January the 3rd or the 12th or the 15th or December 9th. It happened on that day with intention to hope that it would come with a different kind of result. This is not just the verdict came out today and people are gathered and we are angry and our protest turns into something that could have destroyed some property. This was intentionally planned as a way to disrupt and and change the results of the election for those who believe that whack. That's right. But I I think for me, though, uh, Jack Del Rio is emblematic of something I've always found fascinating about sports is that uh, when I think about various ways in which in particular basketball and football play out, you can sit in the sands and love me, but hate my political position. You can, uh, and I just think about the SEC football every time I watch Alabama, right? And no shade to Alabama, I think that, what I always say about college sports is that for some kids who come from particular communities, this is their only ticket out for some of them. Right. And whether they go pro or not for four years, they have a roof over their head, they have food. um, And then they have an opportunity to make generational wealth by just signing a piece of paper. And I just think that the uh, ways in which, uh, white folks in sports will always say shut up and dribble keep politics out of sports but yet people in many urban communities have to vote in order for a millage or whatever it is to pass to build these billion dollar stadiums and those who live in the city carry the burden of these things it's just it's just a walking contradiction in so many in just so many ways as i think about um Sports And sometimes I just want to take a poll of these folks and say, like, you, you don't you don't want them to do NIL and make money. You want them to shut up and dribble. You want to say crazy things about Black Lives Matter. And the thing is, Black Lives Matter people like during the protest, they weren't running up in the Capitol, breaking in and like tearing up shit. 
they weren't hurting anybody because I didn't watch uh, the the hearing, but I did watch this video for like 30 seconds because I was like, let me let me at least peek because uh, lately I haven't been watching the news other than reading uh, uh, the newspaper or whatever it is. And just the sheer carnage and blood and violence on January 6th, I've never seen that at any peaceful civil rights protest. Hmm. Hmm. Unless it's those who are quoting protecting and serving, their violence exceeds the behavior of those who are protesting 99% of the time. So I just found the Del Rio thing just really emblematic of those who are supposed to be leading young men and men and women in, in, in sports, but it also speaks volumes to why I love the WNBA and why I just mm. think that um, for all the things I, I, I enjoy about the NBA and, and, and the NFL and all these other things that as individuals do, as a collective, the WNBA is the only sports uh, business that has a social justice council that names explicitly things that they are fighting against. They led the charge to get rid of uh, the owner of the Atlanta um, women's uh, WNBA team. Like they've actually done really good uh, work. So, you know, shout out to the WNBA and them sisters that's uh, leading the charge uh, for the work. So, um, and the fact that Jack Del Rio has his job, because again, if a black coach would have come back, come and said something like that, they would have never coached in the NFL uh, again, right? Because black coaches only get one shot at any of this, right? And I've always said to folks, whatever happened to Casey Jones from the Celtics? Mm. Like, mm. you mean to tell me mm. that when we talk greatest coaches of our time, we stop and start with Phil Jackson and we don't run in parallel, Casey Jones. Mm-hmm. Because I you always hear say, Red, Red, you, you hear Red Arbach, you hear um, uh, right. uh, UCLA, uh, uh, John, John, John mm-hmm. what's that thing? Wooden, yeah, John Wooden, yeah, John Wooden. You hear, like, you hear Mike, just Mike, uh, Coach the K. Chef's, the chef, yeah, yeah. But you, just, yeah, you right. You don't really hear about the black. You pop. Greg Popovich. You'll hear that. I mean, the man as a player won eight NBA championships. Yeah. He won in uh, two NBA championships as an assistant coach and two NBA championships. So that means he has about 12 championships and he won two NCAA championships in the 50s. Oh, wow. Never knew that. Yeah. I mean, he played at uh, at, uh, University of San Francisco. Oh, so he played with the big O. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oh, but I just Cincinnati. That... Played Cincinnati. Uh, who the who the hell played who who played at San They had a dream team. It's so yo, bro. I, I gotta I gotta we gotta do some research on the University of San Francisco because so many so mm-hmm. much greatness has come out of there from like I agree Black Panther to like bro a lot of history at that university. Yeah, man. I mean, I yeah. just think that. Um, I don't know. I just don't understand it. Right. He retired and was succeeded by this uh, random dude who led the Celtics to obscurity and was trash. Um, But anyway, I just, you know, I I just find it to be super interesting of how we talk about 
race and sports. And I got to shout out Harry Edwards, uh, who was one of the leading writers and thinkers on, on the intersection between race and sports. Um, and uh, just oh, Bill Russell was on that team. Oh, Bill Russell. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the dream team. Bro. So, so, so sir, <laughs> I, I feel like they followed each other to the, uh, to the league because Bill Russell was on a lot of those Celtics uh, yeah. championship teams, right? So it's like, how the hell are you? But to, I just think to H's point, right, to go all the way back to that, like the rules for us are just so different in sports, mm. right? Just very different uh, because, again, Aaron Rodgers says like just ridiculous things and it's okay. And he actually says things that can kill people. Yeah. Colin Kaepernick protests people getting killed statistically demonstrated that people are getting killed and he can't get a job in the NFL. You can be an abuser. You can be a womanizer and you can keep your job in the NFL, but you can just protest and you can't keep your job in the NFL. Yeah. And it, it gets me back to thinking about like, your point of this black coach and us not knowing, or at least me not knowing much about his history and his accomplishments. I think that's why when we talk about like black lives matter, it isn't necessarily, it isn't both protecting my life because that's important, but it is like the, the stories matter. The history matters. Mm-hmm. Like why isn't that something, it should be included in the top things and not just for the sex of people who are following it, but it should be a part of our general understanding when we talk about what it means to be a great coach or a great player or a great owner or a great athlete. Like we don't even think we we can't even protect folks' history and the contributions to their field and to their industries at all. And so I think it, it's another reason why we need more we talked about this before right we need more black created content we need more podcasts we need more books we need more articles we need more black and brown people serving in these groups of folks who are creating campaigns and who are giving out grants and giving out money and thinking about redesigning and making policy decisions because if we aren't even in those spaces and when we're in those spaces, we are misinformed or underinformed. Then we don't even get to talk about the ways that that contribution and that particular thing matters. And your shout out to the WNBA is an important one. And like, look again, right? I immediately think women of color, <laughs> women, um, women who may, you know, identify as LGBTQ plus. I know I get that wrong, so I'm sorry. Who now are like. I'm already on the margins and now I'm still taking up the issues around social justice and equity for all people. While those yeah. who are in the center who get to sit in privilege with budgets, without losses, with big contracts, like you have the most of that you could give and you decide to give nothing. And those who are on yeah. the fringes are taking the little bit that they have to try to make a path better for others. Yeah, sports that's, just that's frustrates wrong. sports just frustrates me in general with a lot of this uh, as someone who was a diehard sports fan where I wake up and I'm watching all the shows more than I watch even the regular news and Bro, listening to podcasts. So but in all these but shows, the, in, in all these shows that you watching, right? Yeah. Stephen A don't annoy the shit out of you every day. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Continue. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Like he's loud. I, I, I actually, 
Yeah, but anyway, um, and I think the the ways in which we don't talk about gender and the mm. way things are gendered in sports really bothers mm. me. And I and I I had a huge conversation on a panel where there were people who were pissed, and I said to them, "Genitalia should not determine whether you're a successful basketball coach." And I mm. said, "What I mean is that how is it that Gino Oriema?" has stayed at UConn for so long mm -hmm. and it's okay for men to coach women's basketball, mm -hmm. but yet mm -hmm. we've never had a women's head coach of a NCAA division one men's team or an NBA. Mm -hmm. Explain that to me. And I always, and I said to someone the other day, I said, I would take Dawn Staley to coach any NBA team and she would kill yes, the game. And I said it. all the time, I was like, if you, if, one, she from Philly. For real, yeah. for real, from you Philly. You already she, know. She, what that she might do a better job than Doc. She might, here she, it is. She might do a better job with Doc. Right. So she would do a better job than Doc Rivers. I'm just putting that out there, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. She has experience coaching professionals because she coaches in the Olympics. So you can't mm -hmm. say she wouldn't know how to coach professional athletes, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that it just bothers me deeply because our 11-year-old, his first AAU coach was Coach MJ and Coach Asia. Coach Asia played at Howard University and then played overseas, et cetera, et cetera. Coach MJ played at Harvard. He came home one day and was like, Dad, my coach is dope. He didn't say my coach, my woman female coach. He said my coach is dope. Do you know what it means to be on ball? And I was like, that right there is solid, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't register with him that a woman couldn't coach a group of young men. So I just think there are all of these problems. And I think that while, yes, like Del Rio is problematic, I think it's under discussed about the gendered nature of how we think about coaching in the NBA and in college basketball and basketball in particular. Right. And I, I think that it's I just don't I don't get it. So Gino Oriema can coach UConn, but yet you mean to tell me like Dawn Staley or Becky Hammond. And I was pissed that Becky Hammond went to coach the Las Vegas Aces. I really was. And I was like, good for her. She got a gig. But I'll be damned if she couldn't have replaced Pop when he retired. She couldn't go right. coach. Duke. Dawn Staley and Becky Hammond will be better. But Dawn Staley in particular will be a better coach than John Shire, who replaced Mike Shisefi. John Shire is there because of privilege, because he played for Coach K. He hasn't proven anything. That's it. Dawn Staley built Temple basketball from the ground up. The ground up. Yeah. So, yeah, sports frustrates me, as y'all can see, uh, immensely. Um, and, and the lack of a conversation around gender and coaching um, and and genitalia yeah. with with like, OK, so you're a man and you you like you have all these things. But like, why do you get out? And they recycle the same trash people. They do. And it's, it's like it's the intersection of the racialized and the gendered experience. Right. And so right. now you're talking about Don Staley. So you want to. So when you think about, well, why couldn't she do that? Well, she's black and she's a woman. So there you go. Like what? Of course she can. And anything that she's done already is nice. 
but it couldn't be recreated because that's just like her. She's like an anomaly. It isn't about understanding the game of basketball, I mean, being well-read, yeah. understanding proximity, being a hard worker, being somebody who cares about the game and who studies her craft to cultivate it. So, I mean, it's, it's the same thing, but I think this, this gets to, you know, if, if folks were engaging, this is why we need to think about whose stories matter, That's right. where those stories are being highlighted, and who in spaces are going to name and advocate and call out yeah. these folks so that people can know that this is important work and not just the same four to five people that we go to. That's not cool. Say that. Agreed. Mm. All right, so we get we. I feel like we have enough time to get to one more uh, topic. H, you loaded this thing up, and so unpacking wokeness, right? And so H, putting you at the at the center of the commands because I want you to define what wokeness is, and then I feel like we could jump in. Yes. Yeah, so I. So there's two things. So. There's often this discussion about, I think Pizza Hut had a campaign with a coloring book a few weeks ago, um, and they got a lot of criticism around it because they thought, oh, look, this woke, or this woke coloring book is going to cause people to not go to Pizza Hut. So the hashtag I saw was like, Pizza Hut woke and like now goes broke. And all these people are up in arms because this like cart, this um, little thing, this thing that they did for their coloring book became problematic and nobody wanted to see it. Um, and so it made me start thinking about what it means to be woke and how we use that term. And so when I think of woke, I think of a level of being awake, being alert, being mm -hmm. conscious of what is happening. And so people think about wokeness as being like a bad thing, when in reality, I wonder what the opposite of that would be. So if, the, if, if woke means I'm alert, aware, engaged, and conscious of something happening then the opposite of that would be I ignore it, I'm not aware, I'm misinformed, I'm ignorant to what's happening. And so I think the challenge becomes, it seems like woke is a bad thing because it comes with a level of accountability that you have to be able to engage in. Because if I, if I know that there's a leak in this kitchen and I continue to ignore it, am I addressing the leak in the kitchen? Absolutely not. It takes me to say, okay, here's a leak. I got to call the plumber. I got to move this. I got to do that. It requires some kind of response, right? Some kind of engagement, some kind of action on my part to address the thing. And so this thought about wokeness is less about being informed, but like, if you tell me the truth of what is happening and I do not respond to it, I ignore it, I call it fake news, I make it seem like this is just a platform and not the truth, then I don't have to deal with it. There's also a, a program that I used to like to watch, it was called Yellowstone, and I remember a few months ago, Megan McCain made a comment about how everybody loves this show because it's not woke. And I'm like, anybody who spent any time watching Yellowstone knows that the way it portrays the history of white people and Native Americans and folks who are indigenous and the consequences and the interactions, the tensions that they have in current day based on land, based on the way that their lived experiences are. You can't watch that and not think of it as being woke, right? There was another thing about Top Gun and like someone made a comment around how Top Gun is one of the people love the movie and it like broke the records because people just want to be entertained. They want to like love America again and like not be woke. But how can we, being woke does not mean that you are ignorant to what is happening. It means that you are aware of what is happening in order to think about your responsibility to that particular thing. 
Um, and so I just wanted to like ask, like maybe I have a different understanding of what it means to be woke. But to me, if being woke is being aware, conscious, informed, and accountable to something, then how can we say it's a bad thing? Yo, I think y'all black people take this shit too far. And <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> what? <sighs> so, so I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I get it, right? So, like, it, but it goes back to an earlier conversation that we were having about like folks and, and their thoughts about what indoctrination means, right? So, like, oh, well, you're exposing my kid to this, and you're exposing my kid to that, and you're doing this, and you're doing that, right? And it's like I don't think that people are putting enough, uh, uh, enough uh, mustard on the fact that kids are intelligent, and at the end of the day, regardless of they're if, if they're exposed to it or not, they're still gonna figure your ass out as being a racist and being a bigot, right? But then uh, at the end of the day, you're still gonna have to be accountable to them. But but the years of frustration that are gonna be bottled up at the fact that now you have to answer to this child who you tried to like hold in the dark about how bad you are as a person right so now they know mm -hmm. how bad you are and then the moves and the motives that that they can have to now distance themselves away from your ignorant ass it's just gonna be twofold right and so i'm i'm gonna be i want to be around when this generation of of folks that are being kept from kept in in out of the light in terms of um what they should know in terms of enlightenment, right? So when they come out of the dark, I want to be around. I want to see the vitriol that they have towards these parents and towards these white folks that are trying to keep them from the truth. Yeah. But at that end, it, it makes me think about terms, especially like fake news, right? Mm -hmm. The more I hear people use that, it isn't that the news is fake, it's that I don't like what you're saying. Yes. So if I get to say I don't like that, so it's fake. That yes. doesn't mean it isn't real and it isn't true. And it's the same with like wokeness, right? Like if the thought is like being woke means that you like see what it is for the way it is, then, then what would the opposite of that be? That I don't see it for what the truth that's there. The, that the I opposite is, that's fake news. Fake news is the opposite. Right. So how can we, and I guess that's my point, we got to be careful and we got to learn, you know how sometimes when we're thinking about things and we think about like, that's, that's code language. So when it you is. say this particular thing, you're not really, you're not referring to any level of consciousness, any level of awakeness or accountability. Yes, this is no your age. code word for I don't yeah. like it because yeah. it reflects a group of people that I'm not rocking with, but I'm not a racist. I'm just not yeah. woke, right? No, you so are. Let me, hey, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you. I, I want to ask both of y'all, right? Because I'm pretty sure y'all gonna have some 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 research intuitive answers for me. What's the difference between fake news and white is right? Mm. What do you mean white is right? People who believe yeah. white is right. Yeah. I think the only difference is that with white is right, it's just it's just that, right? The white parts is right. But with fake news, it's just whatever I don't believe. It's whatever I don't what like. Are, what, are the things, what do you think? So white people that say fake news, what do you think they don't believe? 
Well, I think I think it I think whatever they don't believe, right? So if they don't believe that the vaccine works, then that's fake news. It didn't happen. If they don't believe that that uh, people are crossing the border and here to work and do like whatever. I don't believe it's raining outside. That's fake news. That didn't really happen. So it's a what about what, what about the humanity? What about because I'm 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 digging. What about the humanity in others? Right, because oftentimes they don't see that when, when you when you're putting yeah. when you're well, using they this. don't see the humanities in, in others because they I don't know that they can see the humanity in themselves. Facts. Okay, right? fair, yeah, facts, yeah, okay. All right, so uh, again, you pack the show up too much, but that means that you're getting really good at it, and I can appreciate that. Uh, drop my H bomb. Um, what uh, so closing thoughts. Um, H, we'll start with you. Oh, yeah. So my closing thoughts were around this young lady who is a graduate um, in the class of 2022 at Banneker, Benjamin Banneker High School here in D.C. And I want to make sure I go right to it. And so last night, the night before, was their awards ceremony. And this young lady, uh, most graduates in D.C., you have to complete 100 hours of volunteer service, and they do it across your whole ninth and 10th grade so that you can do 25 in ninth grade, 10th, 11th, 12th. This young lady, and I want to make sure that I read it and get it right, she completed uh, 270 hours is what students are required, and this young lady, her name is Kayla Haywood completed oh. mm. 677 wow. hours um, during her four years at Benjamin Banneker. Benjamin Banneker is one of the top performing uh, schools here in D.C. It's rated 96 in the nation, um, and they're doing some amazing work. And, and I just want to shout out her. 96 hmm? out of what? Out of them. I put the link in there. 96 in the nation. Yeah, we're just, the we're just saying that link. I think that's fake news. Because you don't want to believe it. <laughs> but believe this. Believe that. Let me make sure I say this right <laughs> Let's make sure. What's real news is that this Kayla Haywood and that yes. she completed those hours, that she did more than she needed to do, that she could clearly cares about this. And like shout out to her and to counselors or to organizations that created the conditions that made her want to be a part of it, whether that is her family network or her community. Um, wonderful job to to Kayla and to all of those young people who are graduating this season, um, especially those who have had to endure some hardships. Know that three times dope is thinking of you and, and, and working hard and proud of you and encouraging you. So shout out to Kayla and all those folks at Benjamin Banneker. Hey, so when we do this in-person show next month, right? Can we all commit to getting uh, Apple Watches so we could be in sync in terms of I, I could be in y'all's business to know how many calories y'all burning so we could, you know, hold what does each that other accountable? Is that your closing? <laughs> accountability partners. I'm just, because I'm just thinking about it, right? Because like right now I'm behind in terms of where my, uh, where, where my, my calories would be burned because, you know, we, we were supposed to meet at a certain time and, you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> Zach, you up. My closing thoughts is that, uh, you know, uh, I, I miss schools, right? I think the nostalgic, like, end of the year emotion, I just don't feel anymore because the world just kind of keeps going, like, 365 days a year. 
Um, and so I just want to shout out all those who are educators who, you know, saw kids leave their buildings this week, next week, or whenever it is. And just that, you know, quiet moment, I always remember of how quiet the building was when kids weren't there. And it was just always this like odd silence that mm -hmm. I just never could put my hands on like how to describe it. But it's just that like, you know, winter break, yeah, they'll be back. But I think uh, teaching in Detroit in particular uh, in middle school, I didn't always know whether I would see some of my students when they came back just because of the violence in the community. Um, and so I just think there's this moment that I felt when I watched my fifth grader kind of leave um, and go from fifth grade to or the promotion, just kind of watching the emotions of his teacher and just her just saying like, you know, I, I just miss, I will miss the students this summer. And, uh, you know, it just is nostalgic because someone who was a teacher for so long and not in classrooms or in buildings as much anymore. It's just that that thing. I don't know how to describe it, but y'all y'all understand, like when your kids leave and you have the summer, yes, you rest and recharge. But I worried about my students in the summer all the time, like and would check on them and to raise point. I didn't really have a summer break in the traditional sense because I was rolling through the block, swinging by homes, you know, and that's right. That's you right. Know, like what you doing out here on the corner? You need to meet me at the building on Tuesday because I could get in because the building was open. And, the, and I, I, luckily I had a principal allowed it. So, you know, just shout out to the teachers who ended the school year, their administrators, all of the educators, counselors, that are in buildings in particular, um, just I want to appreciate those that have done well by kids this year. Um, just thank them for their work because it's uh, it's been a rough it's been a rough year uh, for educators. Yeah. So my final thoughts are uh, are, are this: I think that uh, championships in, in the teaching field are built during the summer, right? And what I mean by that is, mm. right of course you have the time to recharge and do the things that you need to do in order to get your mentals back where they need to be but also professional development that is uh ordained by you because you as an educator you know exactly what you need in order for you to be the best teacher that you can be right i think that a lot of times we let administrators come in and we name the things that they think that we need in order for us to be great however as a teacher that is self-reflective and knows like what your blind spots are you know exactly what you need to do in order to get those trainings in order to be the best teacher that you can be for kids. And so if you are really, if you really care about kids, you really care about moving the needle forward in terms of like what education can do for black and brown kids this summer, after you get your rest and after you get your bearings, you are finding professional developments that are going to uh, push, help you to push the uh, envelope forward in terms of what you can do for kids. And I know some people are going to hear this and be like, Oh my God, Oh my God. You know, he's, he's doing, He's, he's anti-teacher. No, I'm pro-kid. All right. So you guys have been listening to the Three Times Dope podcast. Can't wait to see you soon. I'll see you again soon. Sorry. But that's what happens. You can bleep this out when you're taping. But I'm not going to bleep it out. So. <laughs>